What's up, you guys? It's so good to be back with week 15. Finally, the draft coverage and all that is ramping down, and I have an incredible, incredible video to make today. I kind of don't even know the direction, and I kind of want to find it as I continue talking with you guys. It's a trend that I had mentioned briefly at the end. It's really stemming from what happened in this draft, but it was just my weird, wacky, nerdy football self was looking through the history books of prior drafts, prior anything like prior seasons and just I wanted to see trends and commonalities and things that people weren't really looking at and a huge one stood out to me that like I hadn't really even heard been talked about I mean I heard obviously quarterback is the best position you should always take the shot running back isn't and you shouldn't take the shot those are the two main ones that I continued to hear the defense it was a mixed bag but on but there was one position that I really didn't see talked about in the way that I was thinking about how it looked and that's the wide receiver position and the weirdness that goes along with getting a pro wide receiver what it means to be drafting one, where you're drafting it, the development of them, how much time they have, just everything about them was extremely baffling to me. So this entire week, I tried to comprise like four-ish different sort of chunks of statistics and sort of come to a conclusion with you guys verbally on this episode about how you should go about getting that star receiver and what it means to actually have a star wide receiver. And then literally this morning, today is Monday, May 10th, 2021. This morning, Ian Rappaport tweeted out a very insightful tweet saying, is it really worth it for wide receivers to be taken in the first round? Which is so upsetting that he put this out the exact day that I planned on doing this. But I don't even love the statistics that he used in his tweet. The statistics that he used it that he used in his tweet were about how many Pro Bowls had been made by wide receivers per position and said that it picks up in the second round rather than in the first, saying ultimately that second is better. One of the things that I consistently actually found in my statistics that I'm going to get to later is that the second round is the place to draft a receiver, but Pro Bowls are a popularity vote. I really didn't want to look at it that way. I more just quantified everybody's career as a superstar, star, formidable starter, and bust. And that's really how I concluded all these statistics. I know that that is obviously personal opinion, but I think that when you break them down into those four categories, it's pretty common knowledge where everybody fits onto that list and what type of player they are. So I just wanted to go over some of these statistics that I found and give you guys my overarching ideas. So the three overall themes and sentences, like the thesis of my statistics and what I'm trying to get, are these three things. Wide receivers should not go in the first round, and it is not worth it to take a wide receiver in the first round. It is smarter to use your free agency money and your trade pieces to go for them than other positions, and that is the most foolproof way to get it. And you need to address all of your needs before shooting your shot on a wide receiver, especially in comparison to other positions due to the ability to be replaced at the position. 
those three things, I'm going to try to get you guys to agree with me on those three things with the following statistics. So I'll start with one that's a little bit older, but I found a Bleacher Report article that dated between 1990 to 2015. It was written in 2015, so obviously it doesn't have an incredible basis, but because this went up to 2015, I then had the luxury of going from 2016 on for the rest of my statistics. This was just a way for me to mentally remind myself that it wasn't really a whole different universe from that 25-year span, and it was actually very similar, and it continued. I'm just only going to be using the specifics from the last five years, and then this will be a more broad from the beginning. So, according to that article... Pro Bowl rates among first-round picks over a 25-year sample between 1990 to 2015 was 30.3%, a.k.a. the 11th out of the 13 available positions. That is very, very small, obviously, especially compared to the other positions, 11 out of 13. And then the bust rate is the actually the exact same percentage with 30.3% of the wide receivers taken in the first round between 90 and 2015 being busts. And that is the fourth out of 13, which completely shows that it is more common to draft busts than it is to draft the Pro Bowlers. And Pro Bowl really isn't even that hard. Then I, I narrowed the, sam the sample size that they had given from a 25-year sample size only down to a 10-year. That's from 20, 2005, 2015. The Pro Bowl rates among the first-round picks in that 10-year sample size was 35%, coming in 10th out of thir 13. And the bust rate was also 35% at 3rd out of 13. So even in the bigger and the smaller sample size, it shows that they are one of the highest rates to bust and one of the lowest rates to become Pro Bowlers. That shows that in that time, nothing has really changed, and it has always been such a hard position to get the right guy on. Now, I'm going to go by draft specific each year, 2020, 19, 18, 17, 16, and I'm going to be breaking down what happened in each of those rounds. So now, last year, in the 2020 draft, we saw a record, I think it... it I'm not too sure that it was a record, but it was the most that we had seen in a very long time with six receivers going in the first round and seven going in the second round. Surprisingly, that is a total of 13 out of the first 64 picks were the same position at wide receiver. Obviously, you guys know who the round one guys were. Ruggs, Judy, Lamb, Rager, Jefferson, and Ayuk. And when you break down just those first-round players from that time, you, you're already starting. In the first year where you don't know their potential at all, you're already starting to see misses and things that organizations are regretting. Hence the Ruggs pick and the Rager pick. Obviously, out of this group, there's also some superstars in Justin Jefferson who set rookie receiving records. And other guys who had really, really high output and production, like Ayuk and Lamb and Judy, honestly. I think all three still have major room to grow. They were obviously just drafted in the most recent year. But I only wanted to use this year kind of as an example of people are starting to like have this new urge to draft a wide receiver so high. In the second round, two... Three, honestly, three being Chase Claypool, Michael Pittman, and T. Higgins, all made very big contributions and will continue to have very big contributions for the rest of their career, it looks like. That is the way that their career is already going. Then in the fourth round, in rounds three through four, there was only one guy that I think really made a big difference on their football field, and that's Gabriel Davis, who went to the Buffalo Bills. 
But then when we look through all these rounds, there were still multiple players that failed to reach where they were drafted. KJ Hamler is now, I think, around fifth on the Broncos' depth chart, not looking like he's going to be improving much more. Denzel Mims, though he lost most of, though he missed a lot of time due to injury, he wasn't consistently putting amazing numbers on the board. And the Jets have already looked to two brand new wide receivers in Corey Davis and Elijah Moore this year. Other guy, Brian Edwards, was traded from the Raiders on draft night. Devin Duvernay is already being touted as a bad receiver who isn't going to get much better and that Baltimore needs receivers needs receivers and they addressed it with two new guys as well so it looks like his career is already starting to decline the Rams who took Van Jefferson to be that third option never got to see the light of day as the third option and they went out and signed two new guys in Tutu Atwell and Deshaun Jackson almost rendering him completely useless and then LaVisca Chenault, though he does have this connotation that he's going to break out this year, still they went out and got other receivers. They're trying to address that position and trying to lower him on the depth chart. Sadly, even though he ha- he was an early second round pick who showed flashes, they're still going out and getting new guys. That is so, so, so early in their careers, they're already looking to be replaced, which is insane. In this draft... I comprised that out of the 17 players that were drafted between the first pick and the last of the fourth round, so one, two, three, four, two of the 17 became superstars, six of the 17 became stars, five are formidable starters, and four are busts. Out of all of the years that I looked at, this is definitely the worst sample size because we don't know how any of their careers are going to pan out. An injury might derail them, they might have a breakout season. Might go either way, but this is at least for where we're looking now, at this very moment, only a year into their careers. Now, if we look down to 2019, in the first round, there was only two receivers taken, very different from the six and seven that were taken in the first and second the year prior. And those two guys were Hollywood Brown and Nikhil Harry, both overly underperforming, sadly. Round two consisted of Debo Samuel, A.J. Brown, McCole Hardman, Andy Isabella, DK Metcalf, some amazing players, but also consisted of misses. J.J. Arcega-Whiteside, Paris Campbell, guys like that. Round three also had, round three and four also had some guys that definitely contributed, like Terry McLaurin, Deontay Johnson, but it also had many busts. So when I look back at that draft, I saw that out of the 16 receivers that were chose between round one and four, three became superstars, three became stars, Two are formidable starters, and seven of the 16 are busts. Now, obviously, this is a much greater amount of busts, lower amount of formidable starters and stars, because now we're seeing their careers actually pan out, and they are being replaced so, so quickly that they're not getting the chance to break out as much as they can, which I think is going to be similar with with that 2020 class that I read the first time. Then we look at the next... The draft before that, the 2018 draft, when there was, again, only two guys that won the first round, and surprisingly, both were big hits. This is the anomaly draft, where 100% of the guys taken in round one were superstars, but it was only two for two. It's not like there was six. Then round two consisted of Cortland Sutton, DJ Shark, and then round three and later had Michael Gallup, who's all three of those guys had contributed immensely. But then I also see names like Dante Pettis, Anthony Miller, uh, Kiki Kuti, 
Antonio Callaway, Jalil Scott, Jamon Moore, guys that I haven't heard their names in years that are already out of the league, even though they spent, I'd like to consider rounds one through four to be considerable draft capital. One and two is the players that should step in and automatically become contributors on the team. Three and four are places to get the guys that'll re- that'll push you to the next level, the role players that turn into stars. This That's still such a valuable pick. And then I think fifth and on is where it becomes more like you could take backups, you could take developmental guys that are strictly forward developing, thing like injury prone. That's where that's for. But rounds one through four are really where I see the bulk of like people need to be drafting the good guys at this place. And I still see so, so, so many misses in this year as well. Out of the 15 receivers that were drafted between round one through four in that year, two became superstars, three became stars, two were formidable starters, and seven out of 15 were busts. Now looking at 2017, another similar output out in the in round one and and as you can see it is decreasing immensely from the six that we saw in 2020 and i'm not even going to talk about 2021 that's going to wrap up the episode is talking about the comparison between the history to this year's draft but this year only had three players three receivers go in the first round one of which or two of which actually Corey davis and mike williams both are okay, but really have failed to hit their first round ceiling. John Ross, a complete bust. Round two consisted of Zay Jones, a bust. They, th- this draft actually had multiple good guys coming a lot later, trying to prove the point that you can hit on these guys a lot later. Included Curtis Samuel and Juju Smith-Schuster going in the second round, and then Cooper Cup, Chris Godwin, Kenny Galladay going in the third. Those three guys... Or, or those five guys, actually, all are amazing and are still putting out amazing talent at this point in their careers. But still, when looking at all the dudes that were total, that were drafted in total in that draft, two of the 21 between round one and four were superstars, three were stars, three were formidable, and 13, more than half of the players that were drafted in this time, even if you do have a couple hits, more than half became busts and were off the team within three to four years. Not good at all. And then the last specific year that I looked at was 2016, where Corey Coleman, Josh Doxson, and Laquan Treadwell, three names that you probably have not heard in years, all went in the first round, all three becoming quick busts. The other uh, receiver that went in the first round that year was Will Fuller, who did have some pretty decent output. It took him some time to get the wheels going, and injuries definitely derailed him from what could have been an even better career. But that first round was probably the worst first out of all the years that I looked into. This round two was an anomaly again, but only three guys were taken. So while they did have amazing output and the percentage of people that hit was incredibly high, it was Sterling Shepard, Tyler Boyd, and Michael Thomas. Michael Thomas setting the record for rookie receipt for receiving yards in a season. Or no, no, he set the reception record. Out of those three guys, all three hit, surprisingly, yet only three were taken, which is an anomaly as well. And then in rounds three for four, all six of the guys, Braxton Miller, Leonte Carew, Chris Moore, Malcolm Mitchell, Ricardo Lewis, and Demarcus Robinson, all can definitely be looked at as complete busts. So in this draft, one out of the 13 receivers drafted were superstars, three out of 13 were stars, none were formidable starters, and nine out of 13, that is n- nine out of 13 of the players became busts from round from the first pick all the way to the end of the fourth. 
I think, honestly, that is unreal to look at per year. Every year definitely diff definitely had a different storyline, but what we can see is that never once was it a guarantee that you were going to get a, guy, a good guy early. Almost every single time, there were still guys that were better than the guy that was early, even the ones that had hits in the first round. The 2018 one is the only one where we can really set, look back and say, the two best players from this class are the ones that went one and two. And I think it was just because they fit their offenses so, so well. I'm going to go into now, I like group them in a new grouping now. Rather than looking at them by year, I now looked at them by the first round. So this is my comprised list. I'm not going to read all the names because you had just heard them. But in the list of the first round ride receivers from 2016 to 2020, I took them all and pushed them together. There were 17 receivers taken in the first round from 2016 to 2020. Four of the 17 became superstars. One became a star. Five were formidable starters. And seven became busts. That is unfathomable that no one is talking about this statistic. S around 70% of the first round wide receivers were not good enough to even be called stars. We're not good enough to, I think, ever have in a 1,000 yard season. That is, you are spending your top 32 pick, a pick that should be contributing so, so much, and there is a 70% chance that they're not going to contribute. And then in the rare case that you got the five out of the 17 that become a star or a superstar, none have made an impact to winning games yet. Out of the, the only four players that were drafted in the first round that I would consider to be superstars are CeeDee Lamb, Justin Jefferson, DJ Moore, and Calvin Ridley. Those players, CeeDee Lamb last year, put on a show in the very limited amount of games that Dak Prescott was healthy, but he has still yet to contribute to any wins. He's also, keep in mind, the third receiver on their depth chart, and I'm still calling him a superstar. I think superstar is even a, a stretch. That's only helping against my case to call CeeDee Lamb a superstar. People wouldn't. Justin Jefferson was a very, very good pick. That That is one where I can wholeheartedly say, at 22, the Vikings would never rechange taking Justin Jefferson. He would be their pick every single time if he was available at that pick, and they did. That was an amazing pick. DJ Moore, though he's put up production in Carolina, they really have not had the wins to show for it. They've also not had a quarterback to sustain it. But when you are drafting a player in the first round, you're obviously drafting him in hopes that they contribute to more wins for the team. And Moore really hasn't shown anything where he was the one that led the Panthers to a win at any point in his career. And then the last one's Calvin Ridley, who statistically had an unreal season this year, but still only as this only, I mean, I guess you could consider him the number one option this past season because of his statistics, but I think that so much of his production came because Julio Jones was on the out, on the other side, and Matt Ryan, who was second in the league in yards, was the one throwing him the ball. The only other guy that's not a superstar, but is just a star that was drafted in the first round is Will Fuller, who hasn't even played a full season. He has dealt with PEDs, he has dealt with multiple injuries, he has dealt with the dysfunction of the Texans organization, and all of that. So really, when you are breaking it down, zero of the 17 players have contributed to wins on their team. And in my personal opinion, I think somebody might fight differently and say that a first-round pick or any draft pick is really just supposed to help contribute to what the team needs at the time and not wins. But I think that whenever you're taking a player, you're trying to take them so that your team builds more so they can get closer to a Super Bowl. 
and never once out of the 17 times has their player gotten them any closer to the Super Bowl. If anything, it's held the team back. So that's looking at the superstars and stars. Now, when breaking down the seven complete busts, I think that they did, I, I would like to say that though there were a ton of busts, most of them didn't come because of in- inconsistencies, they more came because of injuries, and that w- once they were one or two years injured, the team just moved on and was like, okay, we need a new receiver in this room right now. Some clear examples of that would be Nikhil Harry with the New England Patriots, John Ross with the Cincinnati Bengals, Josh Doxson with the football team, and Laquan Treadwell with the Vikings. Those are all guys that in the limited, limited, limited time that they did play, they did show some signs of being good, but due to injuries, they were just never playing. And then they, the team was like, okay, we got another guy stepping up. As soon as they show production, sorry, you're out the door and just wasted their first round pick. And the last thing that I saw just from looking at the first round receivers was that the percentage of bust or formidable starters players was a higher percentage than anything in round two, yet every player that did become a bust or formidable starter had a longer stint on that team than the players that were busts in round two or three. Even though they had the better production, they were staying on the team longer and getting this consistent reminder of, oh, they were a first-round pick, they could break out, and they never end up doing that. Some examples of that are Mike Williams, who is still currently a Charger, even though being drafted multiple years ago, dealing with multiple injuries. I think this is going to really be his make or break year, whether they get rid of him or keep him. Corey Davis is another great example, who had a very fluctuating career, saw his breakout at his last year on his contract, and then didn't even stay with the Titans, who spent their sixth pick in the draft to draft him, which is so stupid. Another example is Hollywood Brown who is consistently getting excuses for his drops and his inefficient play because he's so speedy and Lamar doesn't throw the ball enough and whatever, yet the entire storyline of the Ravens this offseason was get new receivers, get new receivers, get, and that's exactly what they did. They went out and got Rashad Bateman and Sammy Watkins, even though they're not a pass-first offense, even though he was just recently a first-rounder only two years ago, all this stuff, they go, you know what? Get the hell out of here. It's baffling to me, these percentages in the first round. The next grouping that I looked at was round two, which had a much bigger field of people that I could choose from because there was just a lot more receivers taken in the second round from between 2016 to 2020. So there was a total of 26. Out of these 26 receivers, three became superstars. 11, which is actually an incredibly high number, which is surprising. 11 out of 26 became stars, 6 out of 26 became formidable starters, and 5 out of 26 became busts. That is a much bigger disparity of percentages. It is 11.5% became superstars, 42% became stars, 23% were formidable, and 19% were busts. So the main takeaways that I got from this round were that the only players that broke out to become a superstar in this round, even though it is such a much higher percent chance of actually doing good in your career, but the three players that did break out to become quote-unquote superstars, the three being Michael Thomas, DK Metcalf, and AJ Brown, all immediately, immediately were the three players out of the 26 that stepped into the number two or number one role on their team. 
That is, when, when the Seahawks drafted DK, they drafted him to be the number two next to Lockett. If Baldwin had left, Paul Richardson had left, they had drafted him as the two. He was there too. Michael Thomas, they had just, I mean, Brandon Cooks was still on the team, but Cooks was already being talked in trade talks. He was coming in there to get immediate production as the, as the second rounder. The, the guys who were busts never had that opportunity to come in there and be bust and be a one or two option. Those guys include Zay Jones, Anthony Miller, Dante Pettis, Paris Campbell, J.J. Arcega-Whiteside, Van Jefferson, guys that either dealt with injuries or were just drafted in the second round so low on the depth chart, either four, five, six, and they just never really got to see early, early playing time. And then when it came to the next draft, they were already drafting another guy in hopes that they'd become the guy in their first round, rather than letting this younger guy sit and develop as the third, moving up to fourth, third, second, first, whatever. Out of the guys that became stars-ish, it was a case where a lot of them were the third receiver when they were drafted and slowly, slowly moved their way up which is how you should do it, but the only ones that became superstars were the ones that were thrust into the roles super early. Another thing that I learned when looking at it is that even though it did have the highest percentage of stars taken, out of the stars, less than half, around a quarter, are key contributors to winning. Th those contributors to winning could be considered to be Juju Smith-Schuster, Cortland Sutton, Debo Samuel, Chase Claypool, T. Higgins, guys like that. But then even other guys that I would consider stars, McCole Hardman was always looked at as the three. DJ Chark still really hasn't hit his full ceiling. Curtis Samuel is already off the Panthers and not even finishing his stint with them, it's so crazy to see that even the guys who are hitting and they're spending this pick to get this guy so high aren't even keeping them or having them be contributors to the winning. Now I'm going to quickly go over the third and fourth round receivers, which obviously has the biggest sample size available. There were 39 guys drafted in the third and fourth round between 2016 to 2020, and out of these 39, three the same number as round two, three of the 39 became superstars, four out of 39 became stars, two out of 39 became formidable, and 30 out of the 39 became busts. That shows you don't draft them in the, four, in the third and fourth round because 75% of them aren't going to do well. You want to hear the craziest statistic is that it is only 10% of a lower chance that you draft a superstar or star in this round than there is in the first round. In the first round, there's around a 27 to 30% chance that you draft a superstar or a star in the first round, and there's around a 17 to 20% chance in this. Only 10% lower, two to three rounds later. This should be guys that are, like around 100 dudes are better, that are in between the fourth round receivers taken and the first round receivers taken. There's a hundred guys in between them, yet there's only a 10% disparity between where they're getting drafted to become stars and superstars. Another thing that I saw in this round was that the busts in the first and second round consistently had opportunities and either injuries or being low on the depth chart or something like that. That's what really contributed them to, the, to being busts. But even though the third and fourth round does contribute good players, as soon as the player looked like they weren't ready for the job or they were looking like a bust, they rarely saw the field. They were gone in two or more years. There are so many examples. I don't need to give 
specifics, but Carew and Chad Hansen and Jesu Chesson and Amar Doba and Carlos Henderson and Taewon Taylor and Jaleel Scott and Kiki Kuti and all these guys just in and out of the building. These guys are all third and fourth round guys over the last five years who you probably haven't even heard about. Even though that is high draft capital, in my opinion, third and fourth round picks, they are just in and out of the building because of teams' neediness to get that new big receiver so they either trade or draft one or something like, or like and just keep going, going, going for that new receiver, never giving a, the younger guys or the later round guys any chance to develop whatsoever. Again, very similar to the to the second round. Something that I saw is that the very few players that got that did amazing and ended up being really great in their career. Those being Galladay, Godwin, Cup, Gallup, McLaurin, uh, and Gabriel Davis and Deontay Johnson. Though out of those guys, they all also got thrust into roles immediately. De- the only one that I could really see that was a fourth receiver or lower was Gabriel Davis, who had the luxury of having Josh Allen in his breakout year throwing to him, who I think he's now going to get better. John Brown left, whatever. But Deontay Johnson immediately came in in this three receiver set, immediately became a factor. Michael Gallup had the luxury of having Dak Prescott, who was using multiple receivers. He came in, even though he was a third round pick, as the receiver number two. Cooper Cup, the Rams really had no insight to their wide receiver room. At that time, if you remember right when McVay was coming in, they really didn't have any big names, and they had drafted him to become this guy that they could develop through, I remember the preseason, he was doing really good, and he developed his way, and quickly, quickly got a really high role on the team. Same with Godwin and Galladay. They both got drafted with chances to be, oh, and then the biggest one of all is Terry McLaurin, who even though he was a third-round pick, he was the week one on the starting roster because Paul Richardson was injured, and he came out and shined. So it really does show that if you do give your guy the chance, even if they're a third or fourth round receiver, if you give them the chance to be the one or two very early on in their career, it's obviously not foolproof and it's definitely not risk-free, but the percent chance of them hitting is higher than if you're to leave them as the fourth, let them develop, and then eventually hope that they become good. It's so much easier to just thrust them in when you have injuries like on your team, say that you are battered with injuries, you have these four, third and fourth round guys get this real get these really early reps, and that's what allows them to break out and have this amazing career, not just sitting behind other people. All right, so I think that those round by round analysis has definitely showed some bit of when you're in the draft, you can consistently miss. It's consistently not shown that you're going to get anybody good, and it honestly is a little. It is better to draft a receiver in the second and third round. But then I also wanted to look at it from the other side. So I comprised a list in no order of the top 32 wide receivers today, and then I looked at these different things, these different contributing factors, who the player is, the team that drafted them, what team they're on currently, what how they made a move to go from one team to another if they did, if they played over or under five years in the league generally, and then where they were selected, just to go over that. Now I'm going to name the guys, again this is in no order, but I think that this is undoubtedly the 32 guys who are making the most noise at the receiver position in this year, and that is DeAndre Hopkins or I'll just say the last name, Hopkins, Adams, Diggs, Hill, Jefferson, Julio, Allen Robinson, Evans, Keenan, Calvin Ridley, DK, A.J. Brown, McLaurin, MT, 
Thielen, Lockett, Amari Cooper, DJ Moore, Godwin, Cup, Galladay, OBJ, Robbie Anderson, Robert Woods, Boyd, Juju, Jarvis, Chark, Fuller, Cooks, Deontay Johnson, and Cortland Sutton. Honorable mentions go out to Cole Beasley, Antonio Brown, Jameson Crowder, Marvin Jones, T. Higgins, Devontae Parker, Corey Davis, Nelson Aguilar, Curtis Samuel, but I it those don't really affect the thing. Actually, if only if, if Antonio Brown was in there, it would only help my case better because he's a six-round pick. But just those are some other guys, just so that you guys don't get butt hurt in the comment section. But when I broke down, so I took those 32 guys and I looked at all the things that I j had just named, what team they had came from, how recently they've been in the league, where they were drafted and all that. So when I comprised this, I got the following statistics. The by round picks out of the top 32 players in the league, 10 are first round picks all time, 11 are second round picks. That's already more players that are currently in the top 32 came from the batch of the 33rd to the 64th best guy in college than the first to 32nd, which is unreal to me. Then third rounders, there was seven out of 32. Fourth to fifth was two out of 32. And then sixth to undrafted is also two out of 32, which also means that third to undrafted had 11 and first rounders had 10, which means that there were more players in the top 32 that came from the third round and on than the first round in general. That is unreal to me. That alone should prove this entire episode is you don't need to draft one. When you are drafting a receiver in the first round, you are hoping that that guy eventually becomes the top 32 receiver, obviously. And it just literally hasn't happened. There's more in the second round. There's more from third to on than there literally is in the first round. And that's in total. Then I broke it down by career length. So out of the 32, 14 are, have played over five and a half years and 18 have played under. So there's a pretty good mid-tier disparity between guys that are super young that are doing amazing and guys that are doing, that are older that are doing amazing. It's only a differential of two. So then I went even deeper and I broke down the players within that over and under. So the players who have played over 5.5 years that are in that top 32, there's 14. Six of the 14 were drafted by the team that they are currently playing for. Three were signed in free agency and five were traded. That means that m more than half, eight out of the 14, were moved in some way over their six or more years in the league. And then for the under 5.5 guys, 15 of the 18 were drafted, clearly, because they have been in the league so short. Uh, three of them still, even in that under time, were free agents and zero have been traded. But when looking at that, that does mean there are more players that came from being moved once they've been in the league. I, I also assume not only do you want, when you're drafting a receiver, not only do you want them to contribute wins, you want them to be a long-lasting contributor for your team. You don't want them to be, okay, get to a 1,000-yard seasons and then leave. But the dudes who... And, and your contract's over in four years. I used 5.5 because it was a good middle area for that 14 
to 18 differential. It would have been a lot different if I had done 4.5 years, but in the over 5.5 years, you hope that your receiver can be a six-year receiver. Six years is so, I feel like it's so short, especially when we're seeing quarterbacks play on one team for 15 to 20 years, and a receiver can't even play on one team for six. There's only six that are in the top 14 that have played over 5.5 years for that same team. Then I took a mixed stats grouping for the players over the last 5.5 years. I wanted to combine the round and when they were and the amount of years that they've been in the league and tell you guys some really insane stats. So over the last so out of all the players that had been that have been in the league for over five and a half years, the ones that are still on their drafted team from the first round, there's only two. Out of the 32 amazing players in the league, two of them were over five have played for over five and a half years in the league. They're still on the team that drafted them, and they were drafted in the first round. Those two guys are Julio Jones and Mike Evans. Generational talents, unreal players, but when you look at that disparity in comparison and that percentage, it is so low. Your chances of getting those guys are so, so low. The players who have played over five and a half still on the drafted team in the second round, there's only one, and that's Devontae Adams. And the same thing for the third round or higher, there's three, and that's Keenan Allen, Tyler Lockett, and Adam Thielen. So those six guys comprise all the guys that were drafted by the team that that are they're still on and have played for a while on that team. And even out of those guys, Lockett and Thielen only started to see production around year three-ish. That means that we really have only seen three, four guys that have had in and out consistent production on the team that drafted them coming from round one, two, three, anything. Then over the the players that have played over 5.5 and changed teams that were drafted in the first round, there's four already doubling what it was for still on the drafted team. Those guys are DeAndre Hopkins, Brandon Cooks, OBJ, and Amari Cooper who, though they might have left for some weird reason, like they forced their way out, they forced a trade, something like that, they still moved at some point. Three of the 32 came from the second round, and that's Allen Robinson, Robert Woods, and Jarvis Landry. And then one came on round, third, on round three or higher, and that's Stephon Diggs. So ultimately, that means that out of the players that played for five or more years, eight of, like, like I had said, eight instead of six have changed the team at some point. So if you're going to go out and get this guy that is so amazing, that was highly touted coming out and still puts up production late into his career, actually when they're hitting their prime, supposedly, a wide receiver's prime should be around 25 to 29, maybe 25 to 30. It's a long prime, but if you're going to get a guy in that time slot, that's what we're talking about here. Eight of the eight of 14 came from trades or free agency and six came from being drafted so there is a statistically better possibility that you get it from doing it the first way than the second so now that we have had and comprised all of those stats i would now like to take a step back and look at this year's nfl draft the one that just concluded around two weeks ago and talk about some of the mistakes that happened with drafting a receiver there were eight dudes in specific, eight picks in specific, that stood out to me that could end up being ass biters that could follow this exact trend that we've been following. Those guys are Jamar Chase with the Cincinnati Bengals, Jalen Waddle with the Miami Dolphins, Kadarius Toney with the New York Giants, Elijah Moore with the New York Jets, Rondale Moore with the Arizona Cardinals, 
Dwayne Eskridge with the Seattle Seahawks, Tutu Atwell with the LA Rams, and Terrence Marshall with the Carolina Panthers. The reasons why is because each and every one of these teams did exactly what I had just shown you can't do, which is not making them such an important key piece of their offense. The only two that I think are are going to be Jalen Waddle and Jamar Chase, who both are on teams with already bona fide connections with their quarterbacks, uh, players that have been in the league longer, players that have already shown production in the NFL. I do agree Waddle and Chase will likely come in as the one. And if they do, then they have by all means made the right pick and they come in into the one and they shine and whatever it makes sense but for tony the first the other guy drafted in the first round that i really didn't love the giants do have multiple weaknesses they have o-line weaknesses they have linebacker weaknesses defensive line i think could be bolstered even more and instead took a guy at a position where they have i'd say three more than formidable guys in Sterling Shepard, Darius Slayton, Kenny Galladay. And because of the timing of when they had signed John Ross, I think that they thought that they could revamp his career, but now it seems like he's not going to get any time whatsoever. Dante Pettis, ironically, from this list is also on that team, but he's not going to get any time either. So rather than addressing one of these other positions, they took Tony, who the chance of him breaking out in this situation is so limited because there's other guys who have already had the connection with Daniel Jones. They'll obviously try to get him into the field early and often, but say that he does show a little lack of slowing down, they're going to make him the fourth wide receiver, and then suddenly he's out of the picture completely. The same goes for the Jets and Elijah Moore, a guy that I love his talent, but when you look, they needed an offensive line, they needed cornerbacks, they could have consistently gone for more edge rushers, even safety, anything like that, but instead they went wide receiver when they already have Jamison Crowder, Denzel Mims, and Corey Davis, three guys that I think that the team really liked, but instead they went with another receiver hoping to take this shot. He's not starting with this incredible position, it's an unproven quarterback, and if signs point to it it looks like this is going to be a wasted pick or at least one that even if he does show signs of he's doing good they're gonna say why do we take him and then let Jamison Crowder go or why do we take him and let another guy fall out of the rotation that could have been amazing and then use that pick to then draft somebody else with the Cardinals Rondale Moore I think he's their wide receiver five I I know that that's so said, uh, who knows, but the Cardinals are one of these teams that have just consistently been on that list of per year. They took Hakeem Butler, Andy Isabella, Christian Kirk, they traded for DeAndre Hopkins. They just continue to add, add, add at wide receiver. They just signed A.J. Green in this offseason, and they're, they are trying to surround Kyler with talent, but I just can't see this Rondell Moore move panning out. He's not going to have the early success. They're, say that Christian Kirk has the 1,000-yard receiving season that he probably should this year. This would be his breakout season. I would assume with the efficiency of the offense altogether going up, I would assume that this would be his amazing showout season. Hopkins is a lock for 1,500 yards and 12 touchdowns if he is healthy and he is still producing like he normally is. And then that leaves like no room for Rondale Moore to actually be productive. And it looks like it's just going to become another second round pick that just goes down in the dumps. Seattle Seahawks, Dwayne Eskridge, they had so, so, so many needs on the team. I know that they don't really have a bona fide three, but with Lockett and Metcalf taking up so, so, so many of the 
receptions, I really don't see a move uh, place where they can easily just have him step up and get an easy 60 receptions, look like T. Higgins type did, uh, not obviously as the play style, but the amount of production that he puts up, ultimately going to be a wasted pick. Like, uh, And I keep wanting to because I know that this will definitely be back at me when somebody's productive that I say could have been a wasted pick. But then when you really look at everyone that was drafted around, what they need, and how many wins they will put out due to that player being drafted, I just don't see it being as high. Tutu Atwell's another one that just had my jaw on the floor because they had signed Deshaun Jackson to do almost exactly what uh, Tutu Atwell can do and probably will do, and they still took their second round. They didn't even have a first round pick. This is their first pick in the draft, trying to build the youth up from the ground up, and they literally just took Van Jefferson in the third round the year prior. It shows that they have no, all these teams have no faith in their young guys that they had drafted later, and it is ultimately making their current picks go to shit, or if their current picks pan out, it makes their older picks go to shit. It Either way, it really doesn't benefit either side. And the Panthers, I think that this one is the least out of the eight, but they still, they have Christian McCaffrey as a receiving back in the backfield. They signed Dan Arnold at tight end. They obviously have the shining pieces in DJ Moore and Robbie Anderson. How many more recept, how many more balls can be thrown? The ball, there's only one ball. It's only going to one guy. And I just don't see Terrence Marshall having this, oh my God, unreal season without someone else not. I, Sam Darnold is not good enough to sustain three top 32 receivers. If he doesn't show that he's a top 32 receiver, then they're going to slowly trickle him back. They might go and draft another receiver and say, oh, we need somebody else. And then eventually the Terrence Marshall pick becomes nothing. Again, there's a chance that he does break out, but he can't sustain all these passing options and someone else will fall. It's just how it works. And I think that those eight picks will definitely be looked back at in a couple years and say that we could have gone with somebody else who would have fit the team better, would have contributed to wins a lot sooner. Those eight picks were ones that I really think were misses. There were two guys that were taken between round one and two that I actually think were justified just because of the placement of where they are on their depth chart, and that's the Eagles taking Devonta Smith at 10 and the Ravens taking Rashad Bateman at 27. But even so, they are both coming in, I think, to become the bona fide one. That is why I think that they're justified in taking it. They use their first rounder on a guy that will be the number one option. He will, they will, hopefully, if everybody's healthy, get a good 60 to 80 receptions and be the lifeblood of the receiving core on that team, which will help them so, so much get that initial push. Still not guaranteed that either of them do well. I'm not saying that the one, that the eight that weren't didn't, but just based on how statistics have shown how a player gets good, it is not being at the end of this line and ultimately they're going to come back and the first eight teams are really going to regret it and the second two they're going to hope that these guys as the one can contribute. And if they can't, they'll be out the door just as fast as the other eight guys. Then I'm going to just talk about some of the other teams that took a receiver in rounds three through five. The Chargers, Josh Palmer. Football team took Deami Brown. Texans took Nico Collins. Anthony Schwartz, Des Fitzpatrick, Amon Ross St. Brown, Jalen Darden. Tylen Wallace, Jacob Harris, those were the other picks. But e and in this class, I could see something so similar to like Deami Brown is the third option on a team with a one and two that are pretty great and a quarterback who's who is a veteran who has shown that he could sometimes get it done, but not consistently game in, game out. 
They took him in the middle of the third. The Jets, who also have an who have a non-consistent quarterback, took a receiver to be their third or fourth guy at the second pick of the second round. They could have traded back a lot and had a very similar situation. And I don't think that you can outright say Elijah Moore is so much better than Deami Brown. I don't think that you can say that Tutu Atwell is better than Josh Palmer. I don't think that you like. There are things where, and then they are really comparable players. And the places of when they were taken just make these third and fourth round picks seem like they're in such so similar situations I would love to see Detroit who really doesn't have any receiving core whatsoever put even more and push 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 for Amon Ross St. Brown a fourth round guy that they got and do the Terry McLaurin treatment where he ends up becoming the one without an unreal quarterback and just consistently shines week in and week out I see a bigger chance of that down here than in the earlier picks. Like Jalen Darden, I love that pick. They didn't need to take an early round guy, but they took a swing on a guy with a lot of potential at the wide receiver position. He's low on the depth chart, but they took the low pick to do that. They didn't need to take the higher pick and continue to add weapons around Tom Brady because they need it, whatever. Ultimately, in that draft, I just see a lot of positions where they could have gone with somebody else and they're going to look back in years to come, whether they are productive or not, and say we could have gone with somebody else that would have helped our team get wins a lot sooner. So I hope you guys liked my little spiel about wide receivers. I hope you guys take it into consideration. I really, sh please like and share this episode with anybody that you can, especially now that it's a relevant topic with Rap Sheet tweeting it. I would love for this podcast to go out and everybody starts hearing about it and arguing whether a receiver is starting to turn into that running back, the replaceable, we don't need to draft him in the first round and you could rather wait. I don't know. I, I think that it's a really great argument to have, and the statistics that I brought up today really back it up. I hope that you guys have an amazing week. You guys take what I said into consideration, and next time that your team drafts a wide receiver four in the second round, you can hate on it just as much as I will. <laughs> so have an amazing day. Don't forget to like and subscribe. Tell your friends about the Sauce Lab podcast. I love you guys. I love the podcast. Have an amazing week. Peace.